This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Hey, good morning. It's Monday, and you are listening to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you, and in the studio this week is Matt Young. He is our worship pastor at the Village Church. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Glad to be here. You caffeinated? Uh, no, I'm not, uh, but I got water, so... Right. Do you drink ca- caffeine, coffee? Uh, do you drink caffeine? You do should you, know that by now. Yeah, you don't, do you? Not much. Yeah. Occasionally, I'll have a little bit of macchiato That's why or you're something so mellow like all that. the time. Yeah, super. Yeah. I have, you know. You basically have no emotion. I'm even cute. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, so this week, you're going to be with us answering questions about worship and theology. And uh, the question for today is, hey, worship pastor, what does this song mean? I actually made up the title because the question is about a paragraph long. Um, but here's the here's what the um, we know woman asks. She says, uh, this week in worship, we sang a song called The Lion and the Lamb. I've heard the song before and actually really like it. But today, two lyrics confused me. Here's the lyric. Quote, for the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chain, end quote. And then her question is, didn't Jesus come only to save the elect? What does this lyric mean? Is it biblical? So, Matt, two things. Mm. Um, first of all, why did you pick the song? And second of all, let's answer the question. Um, what does it mean for the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chain? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I, I think one of the big motivators for me with this song, um, other than the fact that I just really love um, the feel of it and the content. Um, but primarily, the lion and the lamb, you see the Lord described as both in the scriptures. And mm-hmm. even though in our minds we would see those things as, uh, I don't know if opposites is the right word, but you know, the lion is the predator and the lamb mm-hmm. is typically its prey. So you wouldn't see one being a gentle lamb and another being a roaring lion. And the victorious Jesus doesn't go devour the <laughs> yeah, right. the soft tender Jesus, right? Exactly, yeah. right? So but in our Lord we see those things, we see multiple basically juxtapositions. You know, you see um he's transcendent and he is also able to interact with us in our uh temporal state. You see those things in our God often and I love the idea of expanding our understanding of who he is. Mm. It's so easy to put God in a box and say he is oh he's so transcendent he won't you know, interact with us or whatever, or the other way around. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of fabricate him to be who he's not as he's revealed in his word. It's interesting because I think culturally people love the the lamb Jesus, but the lion Jesus, the devourer, the destroyer, the judger, Mm -hmm. the, the, the one who uh, is wrathful and executes vengeance. Like it's an interesting juxtaposition. As you say, it's a great word because we love to run into the tender arms of the lamb of God who is slain for us. And, um, but often when we talk about the lion aspect of Jesus, it's a very different picture of his character. Um, so she asked, what does this mean? I I thought Jesus only died for the elect. Let me just translate into common vernacular language sure. for our audience here. Um, what that means is the elect is a group of people that that uh, Jesus chose or elected before the foundations of the world, and these people are the ones who would become Christians. And so um, her question is, okay, when Jesus came to the earth, didn't he only come to save those whom he chose? Um, it's interesting, though, because I feel like uh, this lyric is not dealing with the doctrine of election. So can you just explore that? Yeah. So I think there's two things. One, um, I know you read the line as for the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chain. It might be a small little detail, but uh, the line is for the sin of the world, his blood breaks the chain. And it's a big difference. It is. It makes a huge difference. 
it actually is quoting the Gospel of John when John sees Jesus coming and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think one of the biggest things to, to acknowledge is that his death on the cross and his blood is absolutely sufficient for everyone. Mm. But I would say biblically that uh, it's only efficient for those who are elect. So absolutely, his blood on the cross can cover every sin that has ever been committed. All the sin throughout all of history, all of mankind, uh, it's absolutely sufficient to cover that and to be the propitiation for all of us in that regard. But it's only efficient to cover those who trust in his name. So 1 John 2.2 says this, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So let me respond to her theological quandary here. Um, and again, if you're new to theology, don't don't let these words like put you off. I yeah. mean, it's good to understand what words like election or elect and propitiation means. A propitiation is an appeasement of wrath. So God is angry and a propitiation is something that appeases that anger. It makes it less. Um, it can have different degrees, which we're going to see here in a moment. So the blood of Christ takes the wrath of God towards towards sinners and when we trust in Christ, it propitiates it, meaning it gets rid of it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting here is, is First John says, Jesus, he, he's the propitiation of our sins. He's the appeasement of God's wrath that our sins have created. But not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so um, there is another doctrine called limited atonement. And basically, here's what that means. It means that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross, the atonement, the shed blood of Christ, to only pay for the sins of Christians. And so the blood of Christ is uniquely for those who are going to become Christians, the elect. Um, it is limited in one sense, but it's also unlimited in another sense. And so here's where our audience, where I just need you to capture with me, okay? So when Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross with the explicit goal to propitiate, to appease God's wrath against everybody who would believe in Jesus, okay? That is one way that, that's one intention Jesus had when he went to the cross. But there's another, we'll say, effect of the, of the cross um, on the whole world. Uh, the other effect was for some reason, in some way, that the the blood of Christ, the cross of Jesus, um, basically satisfied God's wrath so he did not need to destroy the world immediately. It, it gave God the ability to postpone his judgment until the predetermined time that he set aside. And so that all of the sins of the world, that God's wrath has been temporarily appeased toward the sins of the world. So God is able to pass over um, our sins now or the sins of unbelievers now and not judge them until the end of time because of Christ's blood. Romans 3.25 says, God put forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What that means is this. The reason God didn't destroy Adam and Eve right away is because God looked forward to the cross and the, and the cross appeased God's wrath so he didn't have to destroy humanity immediately. But because of the cross, God waited. He was appeased. Uh, he was able to, his wrath was able to be postponed. I don't know if that makes total sense, but does that make sense to you, man? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I guess if you didn't, you'd be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's usually how I, how I navigate those things. Yeah. That's totally right. I think what the question is getting at is, are we espousing universalism, which is the idea that 
every single person in the world is going to be saved. And clearly, universalism is not consistent with the Bible. Preach. So if I can read into the question, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's where the confusion came in. Because as soon as somebody says, Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, well, then the sins of the whole world have been paid, then everybody should go to heaven. Right. And that's one of the terminology confusions, if you will. It's not grammatically correct, but you get the point. Yeah. Um, and so I would say Jesus paid, but it's not effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I can go pay for somebody's flowers, but if they don't come pick it up, then they don't have them. Right. You know, or I can have enough money to pay for them, but if they don't ever come in and receive the gift, then it's of no use to them. Yeah, totally. So if she goes on, she says, another lyric is that he's fighting our battles. She says, I know our savior is victorious and continues to protect us from Satan's schemes, but we submit to him, right? Not the other way around. What does the lyric mean is a biblical, basically the lyric, God fights our battles. Aren't our battles already won on the cross? I haven't sat down with Leland Mo- uh, Mooring or uh, I think that's his name. Leland, the guy that's saying for the I band. I thought it was Sam Jacobs. Yeah. He was no. one of the writers on this. I don't know. I'm just making Sam up names Jacobs. now. Anyway, haven't sat down with him and asked what was your intention in this, mm-hmm. but that's how I've always taken that lyric to mean that, I mean, how often in our lives are we trying in our own strength to fight the battles that Jesus has already won. And so when you're saying he's the lion of Judah and you say things like he's fighting our battles, you're basically saying, yeah, I don't have to fight this battle because he's already, not only is he fighting our battles for us, he's already fought the battle. He's already won the victory in those things. And so for me, that's, that lyric is so empowering to acknowledge. Yeah, that's right. The battles that I am inclined to try to fight in my flesh and on my own strength, which I will never have success in on my own. Uh, he's already fought. And so it it changes everything. It changes mm-hmm. our whole identity. It changes our whole approach. And we realize, yeah, the power is because of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us, that power is available to us and right there. Mm. So as far as I take that lyric, it's, I've always understood it to be empowering that mm-hmm. he's fighting our battles so we can lean into him for the strength and we can look to him and know that he will accomplish what he's going to accomplish. So there are some battles that we fight. There's some battles that God fights. Tell me a battle that we fight and tell me a battle that God fights. Yeah. Actually, Michael, you and I have had Mm -hmm. a lot of conversations about, you know, okay, battles that I'm fighting personally, whether it's like, I just want to be more disciplined in my Mm -hmm. life. Right. And so that's something that I have to choose to do. So as the spirit indwells us and empowers us to do these things, we can, we can accomplish those things as far as, well, we talked about the propitiation of our sins Mm -hmm. as far as I can't fight that battle. Yeah. That's been fought by Christ alone. And so the little battles and even those little battles, though, I would argue are still done in the power of the spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, like me becoming more disciplined or whatever it might be, that's going to come from his strength, his conviction on my heart and me saying, okay, Lord, help me to structure my day accordingly and help me to do these things for your glory, to maximize your glory and be as impactful in this life as I can be. So it's still his strength ultimately that accomplishes those things, but it does require a response on my part and on mm. our end. Yeah. When it talks about fighting battles, I think there are the battles we fight and the battles God fights and God fights the big ones and we fight the small ones. And even if I lose the small ones, the the war is already won, you know? And so there is, I, I'm not able to, I'm not able to lose the war because I, I lost in a battle. And so my battles, though very important, are inconsequential compared to the huge battles that Jesus fought on the Mm. cross, disarming Satan, um, releasing me from the power of my sin, giving me the Holy Spirit, all these other things that happen in his major battles. Mm. Judgment, you know, um, 
when he defends us um, before the entire world. So I think it's an it's a great question. So it, it is interesting because I think it's there are these terms that we have in worship music that are elusive, mm-hmm. and preachers and musicians. I think there is a whole generation of of Christians and new Christians and unbelievers that we speak in lingo that doesn't land or make logical connection points. Sure. And so we have to go out of our way, especially if there's a lyric, to explain them on the front end. And sometimes it's hard because some of the older hymns, they actually mean nothing. They mean something to the people who right. wrote them, but they mean nothing to the people singing them because we don't know what they mean. Yeah, the imagery is so disconnected from yep. our culture, our context. Our con- I don't know what an Ebenezer is, but I sing it. You know, I mean, I do because I'm, we study the stuff. But like, right, right. But like if I'm average Joe Schmo, totally. I'm like, here I raise my Ebenezer. What? Uh, Immediately Scrooge? go to Scrooge. Right, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? But I, I go to Scrooge McDuck. Like, <laughs> duck tail, that's where I go to, right? <laughs> Because there's the, the DuckTales version of that. Anyway, so, uh, or the Disney version with Scrooge McDuck. Uh, anyway, so let, let's come back tomorrow. And the question tomorrow is, why do we sing songs that are written at churches that we don't agree with? Wait, what? Let me read that again. Why do we sing songs that are written at churches? Ah, I get it. Here's the question for tomorrow. Why do we <laughs> sing songs that are written by churches that we don't agree with? Awesome. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. That's a doozy. Yeah.